Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. You know, we've sung some pretty powerful songs this morning. And sometimes we do that because... We, 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 we sing reality. We don't sing how we feel. You know, we're not, God's people have never been a people who sing by their feeling, by their emotion. Uh, when, we turn, when we turn worship into how we feel, it becomes very self-centered. Uh, and so when we worship, we worship and we declare things. And it's important for us to declare truths. And so sometimes people say, well, we sing the same thing over and over. Well, that may be true, but one of the reasons for that is it takes sometimes our spirit a little while to hear the reality of the truth. And tomorrow morning when you're in the shower, I want you to be singing some of these songs. And we hear them over and over and over. We can start declaring those things and make them a reality. And so uh, they are already a reality. So I just want to encourage you when we sing these songs, you know, you don't have to feel them to believe them. In fact, in many ways, we take what we we take what we are hearing as a reality and we drive them into our feelings. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about quite a bit today. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. <clears throat> uh, we're processing through not just clean living, but processing through what are we supposed to look like? How do we as Christians truly grow? And so last week we talked about the importance of, an, of establishing uh, you know, the right, the right foundation, uh, right foundation. We talked about two things. Number one, well, I guess the one thing we talked about sin, I heard a preacher one time, somebody asked him what he preached on and he said sin. And, uh, and he said, and, uh, and the takeaway was we're again it. And, uh, I guess that's, I guess that's what we preached on last week, but there's two different ways of dealing with sin, two different voices that you are to hear. And so just by real quick, you know, recap, uh, walk, walk through those quickly. So the first way is we, we know that there's sin in our life and we experience conviction. Conviction always comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when we experience the conviction, we admit that to the Lord. I like to use the illustration of, of punching you in the face, okay? Uh, it kind of gets people's attention a little bit when you say that. But if you were to be up on stage and I just popped you right in the nose and then I said, hey, I just hit you in the face, you would say, you know, uh, no duh, right? Uh, so what good is admitting something that is obvious? There's no power in admitting anything. But the second thing is go from, from admitting something to confessing something. So confessing would be, hey, I hit you in the face and I know it's wrong. But if I were to say to you, hey, I hit you in the face and I know it's wrong, but you better duck, here comes another one. So knowing that something is wrong doesn't fix anything. So we move from confessing to repenting. And repenting, that's where the money is, right? That's where the magic takes place. Uh, repenting, agreeing with God that Jesus Christ is the remedy for all. So if I hit you in the face and I said, I hit you in the face, I know that it was wrong and I'll never do it again. Now, there may be some cause, uh, uh, caution on your part. Uh, whenever we're together, you might brace for impact for a little while until I can prove that there's a new uh, a new process 
uh, at work, right? I, we understand all that in our human terms, but when, when we experience repentance, true repentance, when God gives us a broken heart that leads about into a broken life, that brings forgiveness into our life. And when we experience forgiveness, that's where we experience his grace, That's where grace comes from. And we are all too happy to jump straight to grace. But there is the scripture talks about a process in order to be able to get to grace. So there's no there's no grace without forgiveness. There's no forgiveness without repentance. And this grace leads to life. Second option is there is sin and we experience condemnation. Condemnation always comes from the devil. And sometimes because we've believed him for so long, it comes from our own, our own voice as well. And rather than admitting it, we hide from it. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden, the first thing they did when they recognized they were sin, they experienced convic- uh, condemnation and they went and they hid themselves. And they experienced guilt and they experienced shame. Guilt and shame coupled together brings about isolation. And when we are isolate ourselves away from one another or away from God, we experienced, we experienced unforgiveness and this always results in Not life, but death, always. So we think about how do I feel? How do I know? How You know, most people would say, well, I feel okay, so I must be forgiven. Well, listen, forgiveness, life or death, is not determined by how you feel about either one of those. And if you want to gauge your feelings by those, you might end up in a pretty dark place and yet not have the forgiveness of God. Because you've convinced yourself, you've, the scripture talks about a hardened heart, talks about a seared conscience, it talks about corruption, that we're able to believe our own hype, and we start living in a way that we didn't even know that we meant to, but we end up in a place that we didn't mean to be in. In 1989, Andre Agassi did a Canon commercial. Some of you might remember this, and it became uh, pretty controversial. Uh, well, the commercial itself came out of controversy, but he said, image is everything. You remember that? I remember that. I hear it still often, but that's where it came from. Image is everything. In other words, how you look or how you appear to others is everything. And to be quite honest, it's probably true. Image is everything. We surrender to image opportunity rather than freedom, though. So in other words, I'm willing to risk the ability to look good in front of you, to look put together. I'm willing to take the risk and jeopardize freedom. I, would re- I care more about what you think of me than I care about being able to walk in power and freedom. And what what traps that is to care more about what other people think than to care about what God himself thinks of us. So we're talking about identity this week, learning to walk in a new identity, taking what God thinks about us and learning to apply it to our everyday life. So you have these two options because of the fear of relationships with one another and sin, uh, we pretend a lot. We wear lots of, I know this is really funny, <laughs> we wear lots of masks. Yeah. And, and so we, we project an image that we want to be like instead of walking in the image that God has already called us to be. Now, here's the great thing about God. God doesn't call us names based on our previous action. Rather, what God does is he declares who we are 
before we are even that, right? He, he doesn't call us, you know, if you make some mistakes in school, you get labeled some pretty bad nicknames. But God's identity of us is he calls us to that place where he wants to empower us and help us to walk. That is the identity he calls us to walk in, not our worst day. So my image has fallen. My image that I have at birth is my flesh and my mind, my emotions, and they are absolutely corrupted. This is why Jeremiah says you can't trust your heart. Because your heart's wicked. It's, it's desperately wicked and evil. My emotions have fallen with my flesh. So then, my emotions cannot be trusted. My feelings and my thoughts cannot be the truth by which I live. How I feel and what I think cannot possibly be the judge that sets my direction for life. And yet so many, including many Christians, walk in this trap. Of being, of being limited in how they walk and what they fulfill, the desires, the ambitions of their life. We're trapped by what we think and how we feel. Four times in Scripture, the Bible says, in fact, in the book of Habakkuk, it says, it says it many times, but four times in the New Testament, it says, the just shall live by faith. The just shall walk have their, have their living by faith. Very important passage of scripture. In fact, every time it's mentioned, there are four different contexts. This is a very powerful truth that, that overcomes many, many contexts. So the just, we talked about just, you know, that one day my flesh will be glorified. Right now my mind is being sanctified. But in my spirit, when my spirit comes alive, I am already justified. So the just are those who have already experienced a new birth in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our spirits are now made alive and inform our mind and also our bodies. Now this is powerful because when we, the just, how does the just live? The just must live by faith, which means that the live spirit that is in me right now is the one that is informing my mind. My mind doesn't inform me of anything. My spirit is informing me, and he is taking those thoughts captive to Christ. And my spirit is also informing my flesh. This is why I'm exercising myself in the godliness, and I'm, you know, as Paul would say, pounding my flesh or subduing my flesh to make it take correction from Jesus Christ. So if we listen to what we want to do and where we want to go and how we want to live and how we want to feel, we're going to end up in a place of death because that's all it can produce. Insensitive to the spirit, even if we call ourselves Christians. No, the just must live by faith. Meaning that if we're in Christ, Christ determines how we feel and Christ determines what we do. That is our new identity. We are justified in Christ. And it's not a position that we find ourselves in for a moment. It is a reality that we must walk in every day, every decision, every emotion. You see, if I choose plan A for forgiveness and it leads to life, that always it gives birth to freedom. But if I listen to my own voice, if I listen to the voice of Satan, it's always going to leave me feeling guilty and shamed and lonely and waiting and wondering, and that is always going to leave me fearful. 
empty. So we need a proper motivation to live clean because I'll be honest, you get to the end of last week's message and, and, and again, we live in a day where this has been so convoluted. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay, we get so convoluted with this idea of I've said yes to Jesus, I don't have to do anything else. Well, this is cheap grace. It doesn't cost anything to do that. It doesn't even cost the cross of Christ. And so we must be very careful not to live in a cheap, easy believism, cheap, easy grace. We have a proper motivation for living holy, clean, pure, forgiven, graceful lives. And if we want to be gracious, then we have to also experience his grace. So we not only have to know why I should be holy. You know, for instance, we be holy we, to fulfill God's plan to reveal God's glory, but we also need to know who, who, what matters here, right? So who he is in me, and, and by the way, I need that right now. So the Bible talks about two different places, that, two different scenarios. Number one, Christ in me, the hope of glory, but I am also hidden in Christ. You see how that works? I'm in him, he's in me. This is a powerful relationship. Well, for the, for the whole, you know, he is in me. I need that to walk in this life right now. The I am in him, that helps me live for eternity. We need both of these realities, right? So who has control of my flesh? Who has control of my mind? Me or someone else? Me or you? Am I gonna live based on your reality or your desires for me or Satan's plans for me or am I gonna live according to what God wants for me? Who has control of my flesh? Who has control of my mind? And I will also say this. We have to be very careful not to be mastered by anything. The weakest part in your life, the weakest sliver that you're unwilling to relent and to repent of and to give to the Lord, that's as deep as you can grow. That's as far as you can possibly come in your Christ-likeness. So if God does, and I know most people in this room right now would say, yes, God controls me. But I, but I, wanted, I don't want us to just make a children's church answer. I want us to be real. I want us to be honest and say, when you look at a person's life, when, when I inspect my life, who controls me? Who's controlling me? You know, when you're covered in sin and guilt and shame and fear and loneliness and rejection, you cannot be who God has called you to be. You cannot be sensitive to your true empowerment and settle for natural ways. It will not, it cannot happen. Who you are to be in Christ can only come from him. You can't just make a conscious decision that you believe in God and automatically begin to grow in maturity. It does not happen. You can be a Christian 30, 40, 50 years and never, and never move into Christ-likeness. You settle for a false self, a temporary self that looks good and is accepted by all of those who are around you and you can fake it publicly because we don't know any better but you're not accomplishing what God has for you. And that was the whole point of you coming to him in the, in the first place. When people have a shame on their life, they tend to put on a mask pretending to be something that they're not. And honestly, we've grown accustomed to that. Remember when God showed up to Moses 
Moses had no idea. He wasn't expecting it. So to think that Moses was some kind of spiritual giant, he just wasn't. And, and we're 80 years into Moses' life by now. And Moses just wasn't. <laughs> and so the Lord showed up to him in a burning bush and he said, Moses, I've got a calling on your life. And he has a dialogue with a fire in a bush that doesn't burn the bush. And Moses argues with this God. He argues with him because, of course, Moses knows better than what God wants. What does Moses do? Moses immediately goes to what he knows about himself. I know who I am. I know I'm a murderer. I know I'm angry. I know I'm a nobody. I'm just a shepherd out on the hill. I know that I've killed people. I know that Pharaoh would kill me if he could see me. And by the way, I can't even speak plainly. He just dredges up all of this identity that he has claimed to be, which is one of the reasons why he's out on the hillside. But what does the Lord do? The Lord always meets him right in the reality of what God has called him to be, not Moses' circumstances. So let's go to Judges chapter six, verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was by Orphrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. And that's important. That's not where you thresh wheat, folks. You don't thresh wheat at the wine press. You thresh wheat at the wine press when you're scared to be caught in public because you don't want to be at the threshing floor. And I won't go into the whole story here of what's going on, but Israel has just been overtaken by the Midianites. They are swarming everywhere. And Israel is raising their own food and raising their own wheat and all their own crops. And about the time the, pro, uh, the, the, the product comes in, the produce uh, comes in, Midianite swarms, the Bible says, like locusts and just takes everything from Israel. So if you want to eat, you'd better do your wheat threshing at the wine press. Oh, by the way, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is incredible because Gideon, this nobody, is hiding behind barrels in the place that you wouldn't be threshing wheat because he's terrified for his life. And the angel, insulting him, says, you mighty man of valor. No, that's, he's not making fun of him. He's calling him up to something. He's calling him up. He says, you mighty man of valor and Gideon, like he hadn't even heard this mighty man of valor. He doesn't even respond to mighty man of valor. He says, oh, my Lord. <laughs> I think that's where that saying comes from. If the Lord is with us, how come all this has happened to us? See which direction Gideon starts thinking? How in the world, if God is for us, how in the world did we get here? Where are the miracles our father told us about? Didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord's forsaken us, delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I would say Gideon's having a moment or two of doubt here, despondency. He's given up. He's hiding. He's just trying to squeak by. Then the Lord didn't even listen to anything that he said. You ever felt that way? <laughs> didn't even bother to answer the question, just passed over it completely. He says, now, go in this might of yours. You will save Israel from the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he argues with him again. And he says, well, Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I do this? My tribe is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I'm the youngest or the least is what it means of my father's family. And the Lord said to him, the thing that the Lord says, always, I'm with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. 
So, you know, God doesn't really listen. He hears. He doesn't listen to even one of Gideon's objections. It's not God carries on without hearing him, but we know that God hears him. But I want to share with you some things about our identity in Christ. You see that, that this man in the midst of a national crisis and declares to him his identity. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And he, he, he listens. He hears, he hears him. But immediately what he believes in his heart comes to the surface. I want you to hear that because that's very important. It's important in Moses' story and countless others throughout Scripture. When he hears the word of the Lord, the first thing that he believes in his heart is what comes to the surface. Oh, well, I'm from the smallest tribe and smallest family, and, and I'm the smallest in my family. I'm a nobody, you know, because I'm you know, focused on my ability and not on what God wants to do in my life. And by the way, um, I'm poor too. How am I supposed to accomplish anything? So you notice how he sees himself comes up immediately. Listen, this is a plague that many of us struggle with. We know that God has a want for our life. We read it in scripture. I'm not talking about when God comes to you at the wine press. I'm talking about just when reading scripture, you see what God wants for us, how he wants us to live. But you know what? We limit ourselves. We're not limited by God. We limit ourselves because of what we believe in our heart about ourselves. That's the thing that comes to the top. Well, but you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what they said to me. You don't understand this relationship. You don't understand my situation. Start making excuses. When it's time for obedience, what you really believe in your heart is what's going to arrive first. It's Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. As a man thinks, as he calculates, as a man processes in his mind, as a, as a man turns over, in his processes, that's how he'll be. As a, in fact, well, I'll just read Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, that, that's what they'll be. He is. So our hearts drive our desires and our obedience. This is why Paul tells us that we need to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit. See, the way you, de the way you see yourself will determine how you live. If you believe your words you'll be paralyzed. If you believe God's words, you can walk with authority and power. It's all about who you choose to believe. If you believe in your heart that you're unwanted, that you're rejected, that you're unlovable, that's what you're gonna lay down for everybody to see. And I'm not, listen, this isn't just positive thinking. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. So I wanna say that first. But if that's what you're going to lay down, that's what people are going to pick up. One of two things are going to happen. Either number one, you're going to misinterpret everything. If you think that about yourself, you're going to project that everybody else is thinking the same thing about you. And that's how you're going to live. Or the second thing will be true is you do that so much that people actually do start thinking that about you. It's what we saw as self-fulfilling prophecy. You'll have a lot of experience. Many people have a lot of experiences of being rejected, and you can't understand why. Everywhere you go, people reject you. Everywhere you go, people hurt you. Nobody ever appreciates you. That may be because that's what you believe about yourself, and that's what you're laying down. So God brings us into a relationship with him first because he wants to be the first to establish truths into us. 
This is why we need to spend time with the Lord. And I would even dare say maybe in the mornings would be a good time. Remind yourself of who God says you are so that you can walk in that authority all day long. So when we come to Christ, we have to resort and we have to clean. We must drive experiences to truth, drive emotions to truth. And I remember a time in my life when I had to do that. I mean, I, man, I was so messed up in the way I was processing and thinking. I would have thoughts that were just unimaginable. But I had to take a period of time where I had to take those thoughts captive, drive them into what does God's word say about me, and, and choose to live by faith. I'm going to trust what God says over how I feel. And eventually you start creating some muscle memory to go along with that. You start establishing your steps a little bit more stronger. Give you a few ways. So if I, if I, if, if I were in this room and you walked in first, I would call you by your name because that's how I identify you is by your face right? Most people, that's where we start. We identify by our face. And I won't go any further than that. Number two is we identify by our name. If I'm in this room and I call out your name right now, everybody with your name would look at me. Uh, I would have your attention. And then I'd, by face, I'd be able to determine which one I am, I am calling. There's lots of ways to identify, right? By family name. I'm proud of my family name. I'm so proud of it. I've done genealogy studies on both sides because I want to know even more about the family name. And when I walk, I want to be able to walk in that authority of the family name and know what I'm carrying from one generation to the next. Not everybody can do that. I'm fortunate to be able to. And I want to walk in that. And I want to give that away to my children. I want them to know whose steps they walk in. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the crests. I'm also on gender, how do you identify? So these are pressures that we're all under, and, and, and we don't even know that we're doing it. But very quickly, we, we, we put ourselves in classes. We put ourselves in boxes, and, we identify, and we're looking for other people to identify with. But there's a real danger in identifying this way. Let me explain why. What if you're in a tragic face-altering car wreck or fire and you've identified with your beauty and now your beauty is subject? What if you lose your job? What do you go through when you lose your job? An identity crisis or the loss of a relationship or your children grow up and move out. An identity crisis. I don't know who I am anymore. Here's why. Because your identity was lost because of what you chose to attach your identity to. All of these things are subject to any moment of being washed away. And you have to identify with something else. I don't know who I am. You, you have this trajectory of what the dreams and the hopes that you want to accomplish, and you're headed that direction. And when you hit to your middle ages, and you start adjusting your trajectory, and you say, you know what, is this who I really am? Is this all I'm ever going to be? And you go through a midlife crisis, this identity a problem and you buy gold chains and Corvettes. These things are tied up around things that God does not want for us. They're all living in the wrong direction. Yes, marriage is important. Yes, parenting is important. Yes, job is important. And yes, reputation is important. Of course, all of those things are important, but they're not our identity anymore. When God calls us up and he restores our spirit and makes our spirit alive, 
now we have a new identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. I can listen to him. What does he say? How would he live? My identity. Everywhere I go, I am casting his shadow. Everywhere I go, I'm a representation of him. This is one of the reasons why we have such financial crisis and relationship crisis and we need counselors for every issue of our life because our identity is so, we have an attachment disorder to everything. We're wrongly attached to everything when we're not attached to Christ. Every attachment that you have in your life is going to lead to disappointment at some point in your life except for your attachment to Jesus Christ. So if pain and heartache drive you, trust Christ. See him lifted up. If you're living on your own hype, you know, your glory days, trust Christ. See him suffering for you and calling you to suffer the same. See, God's desire, God, God wants to define you because he made you for intentional purposes. So you need to trust his definition of you, not your sorry substitute. This is the mentality of Israel. When they're in Egypt for 430 years as slaves and God calls them up through Moses, they don't know anything about Moses. Moses comes to town and says, hey, we're going, and they go. But they could never get their minds wrapped around their identity. They could never understand that they were a new nation, that they were getting ready to, to be redeemed and restored in the place that God had called them to. They couldn't get their mind wrapped around it. They were stuck identifying as slaves. They, they couldn't see beyond it. And so every time God would speak to them, they'd grumble and complain. Well, you don't understand, Lord. You just brought us out here to kill. This, this, is, what, this is what Gideon, generations later, is actually saying. He actually says it here in Judges 6. Yeah, what, what is God going to do for us? Just let us get killed by the Midianites. He reminds him of, of the Exodus. The angel reminds him of the Exodus, and he goes back to the, yeah, what was all that for? We're just going to die here now. Their, their identity is still tied as slaves. It's remaining victims and complained. And, and by the way, when they remained that way, they could never experience the promised land of milk and honey. You see, God defines your identity around what he's called you to be, not around your circumstances. If you limit yourself based on your circumstances, everything is sub subject to change. But when you live your life around what God has already declared you to be, and there's life. If you really want to know who you are, I hear people say, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, this is, a, this is a real issue because God has been pretty clear in his word what his will is for our life. So if you really want to know who you are, find out what God says about you first. It begins with agreeing with his view of you from Scripture. Now listen, I've got this underlined, but you're going to have difficulty hearing him personally if you're not agreeing with him biblically. Why in the world would he speak to you personally when he's already spoken and you've ignored him? This is why we just flounder as believers. Back over to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. He doesn't receive what God says at first, this mighty man of valor, but God doesn't receive what Gideon excuses either. 
You see, Gideon can only see his circumstances, but God only sees his ability through Gideon. Look at verse 13. Gideon immediately comes up. And how, how come there's no miracles? We heard all these great things in the Bible. You know, it's supposed to be miracles and signs and wonders and this wonder-working God. Where's all that at? It's just all I see is problems and poverty and a mess. God's brought us out here to die. You see, so, so one of the things that I learned here is that God just moves right past the question. He's not ignoring Gideon. It's not that he ignores it. He just moves beyond it. He's, he's always 10 steps ahead. So I would encourage you, when, when you ask God a question and he doesn't seem to answer it, don't get lost in that. It's not that God's ignoring you. It's that whatever God's answer is, if you will say yes to that, you'll receive the answer back here. Right? The, this answer isn't the answer you're really looking for. He's already questions ahead. But if you will say yes to what he already reveals, it'll all make sense at some point later. That's, that's what's true here. God could say, I could answer all of that, but those questions are going to be answered as you obey my plan for your life. And if you're not going to obey my plan, then why would you want to ask questions? I'm going to send you, and you're going to save the nation. Now, by the way, I should let you know this. should have said this a long time ago. Gideon, the name Gideon in Hebrew means mighty man of valor. So when the angel calls him that, he is simply reminding him of who he is, that his name is more than a name. He's reminding him that he's not living into that name. His name will be a constant reminder from now on from this experience that he is a mighty man of valor and that valor does not belong to him. He is carrying the valor of his creator. You know, sometimes when, when God encounters a person, he actually changes their name. So I, I wanted just to kind of work through uh, some of that quickly. I'm just going to tell the stories. But in Genesis 32, 28, you remember when, when the angel uh, comes to Jacob? Now, Jacob's a troublemaker. Tr Jacob's always been in trouble. And right now, Jacob's brother wants to kill him, and Jacob's uh, father-in-law wants to kill him. Everybody's out for Jacob. I won't go into all of that, but Jacob trying to sleep one night, and an angel comes, and they wrestle all night long, you remember? And Jacob's quite a wrestler. Or the angel is fighting left-handed, I'm not sure. But the, they wrestle all night long and they're exhausted. And the morning comes and the angel says, let me go. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He says, what's your name? He said, my name is twisted, crooked, supplanter, deceiver, manipulator. He said, no, no, no. From now on, your name's Israel, the prince of God. Because out of you is going to come kings. And so now everywhere that Jacob goes, when he reveals himself, he says, my name is Israel. And he walks differently. Yes, he limps from now on because of the dislocation of the hip socket. But in every limp, he's reminding, reminded that out of me is going to come kings. And it does. David and ultimately Jesus and ultimately me and you. Wow, it all had to do with how Jacob could see himself. He moved from identifying as a supplanter into being used of God. I think there's many others. When, when God comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, I already knew you, and I had you established as a prophet. And Jeremiah says, not me, Lord. I'm just a little boy. You can't use me. Look at my age. God said, don't you ever say you're too young for me to use again. I know what I've called you for. 
It, change, it changes the way a person sees themselves when they begin to agree with God. In, in John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus is uh, talking to Peter, and he says to him, your name is Simon, which, which means a reed that's blowing in the breeze is what it means. It means he's a pushover. And every day that Simon has never been picked for anything. I mean, this, I'm, I won't get into all of it. This is why he's a fisherman still working for his daddy. He never could get it done on his own. And so when Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, you're not a pushover anymore. From now on, you're a rock. And from now on, he didn't call him Peter, Simon anymore. He called him Peter. Hey, and one day he's going to say, and on this truth that you just mentioned, that Simon would have never come up with, you, Peter, on that truth, I'm going to build my church. I'm telling you, it began to change. When he changed the way he saw Christ in him, it changed what he was able to accomplish. In Romans 4, 17, I won't go all the way back to, to Genesis, but when God's dealing with Abraham, you know, he deals with Abraham's name change. In Romans 4, it talks about it a little bit. But he moves his name from being exalted father to the father of a multitude. And that's pretty insulting to a 100-year-old man that doesn't have any kids. To walk around as an exalted father. Oh, how many kids you have? Um, uh, didn't have, I don't have any. <laughs> what, a, what a laughing stock. And so you begin to believe the identity of that. And that's what Abraham did. And you know, the Lord showed up and he said, you know what, I'm not going to call you Abram anymore. From now on, you're going to be called the father of a multitude. What's oh, even worse. How long do you have to wait? 25 years. It's a long time. Well, he, waited. he actually waited 11 years before he tried to help the Lord out, which was proof that he never got it. He wasn't getting it. 14 years later, they had Isaac. The reason that I say that is sometimes people say, 25 years is a long time to wait on God. We weren't waiting on God. We were waiting on Abraham to learn what it means to be Abraham, to finally get it, to finally walk in it, that everywhere he goes, he's having to identify as Abraham, not Abram anymore. And Sarah having to identify as Sarah because they have to change the way they think and the way they process and the way they believe. I'm making this up. It's over and over and over. So don't look to the crowd to define you. And don't look in the mirror to define you. Look to God's word. Let it be your mirror. Look to God's people. Let it be a mirror to you. Look to what God's spirit says within you. Let that be your mirror. And walk in that identity. It doesn't matter what you look like or what your background is or what your skin color is or what your any of those things that we always identify with. It doesn't even matter what you do for a living. In fact, you get to 1 Peter. He starts talking about, do you not know that you are a chosen priesthood, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, chosen by God's own people to declare his excellencies? In this one particular verse, he says that we are prophets proclaiming his excellencies, that we are uh, priests, and that we are kings. This is a powerful word to tell us who we are in Jesus Christ. We are heirs of God. We are ambassadors of God. And over and over, when he is speaking to people who are set apart, who are sanctified for his use, he just calls them up. Listen, we're no different than any of these people that I've mentioned already. God has already declared to us through his word exactly how we are to live our lives. And if we say yes to what he has called us to, we're going to be able to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you may say, what has he called me to do? Well, he's called us to live clean lives so that we can be sensitive to the spirit. 
He's called us to proclaim his excellencies. He's called us to encourage people. He's called us to forgive people. He's called us to speak life into people. He's called us to renew people and restore people. He's called us to live the way Christ Jesus lived. And for those of us who right now are making excuses as to why, the, well, that can't be me. Well, my personality or my temperament or my baggage or my fears or my sin or whatever it is that you're holding on to is rubbish. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's rubbish. You might think you're too good to serve. Everything's always been given to you. Why would I want to sacrifice my standing in society to take on the cross of Christ? God forgive us because both of these are pride. I'm too bad to be used by God or I'm too good to stoop down. Both of those are pride. And I pray that God would forgive us. This is just a quick survey of what it looks like to walk in the identity of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you as powerfully as I can. And I don't do real good as a cheerleader. Most of you probably know that about me. But I'm, I'm not really a, a great hype man. But I want to encourage the body of Christ here this morning. That the one thing that is holding us back from experiencing true revival is not God's want. It's not the Spirit's unction. It's what we believe about ourselves. That God could use us, God would use us, that God would forgive us, that God would restore us, that God would put his, his, his voice in our mouth, that he would put his heart in our chest, and that we'd truly be able to be empowered by him. Well, I wouldn't want anything in my way that would keep me from being sensitive to what the Spirit would have me walk, when he would have me to speak, how he would have me to love. And so I, I'm asking us to please, let's live surrendered, humbled lives before the Lord. And there may be, there may be people in here right now that know that they're not in a right relationship with the Lord. This is where it starts. If we're going to believe him after we come to him, we also have to believe him that what he says about us is right. If we have hard hearts, if we have bitterness, if we have some, some way in us that is not in fellowship with him, we need to cut that out of our lives. And so this morning, I'm going to ask us to do something that we've not done in a long time. But if, you need to, if, you, if there's things that you know that you need to surrender in your life, I'm going to ask you to cut it out this morning. I'm going to ask us to go to him in prayer and just to lay it before him and, uh, and to identify with Jesus Christ. And in doing that, we have to identify less and less with ourselves and more and more with him. And so if, if you're here this morning and you've never claimed Jesus, you don't know him, or maybe you're walking out a step with him, you're just going through the motions, putting on your masks, wearing your mask, pretending, 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 hoping one day you'll have a breakthrough. Today's the breakthrough because this is where the message came from. The Lord is giving it to us today. So I'm going to ask us if we would to, to go ahead and stand. I'm going to, if you would, kind of close your eyes and keep some modicum of reverence if we can. If you're here this morning, and I know it's a little odd, there's not really a place to kneel other than just before the Lord, but I would ask to try to keep your distance a little bit. But if you need to step out from where you are and pray just as a sign that you're serious, and um, if you want somebody to pray with you, just get my attention, and I'm very, very happy to do that. So uh, I want to ask Chris if he would play, and as he begins to pray, I'm going to ask you to come.
and just uh, make things right between you and the Lord. And if there's other people that you need to make things right with, you need to make it right with them too. But today we're going to leave clean, identifying with Christ and Christ alone. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, would you do that? Let us show you how to do that. You could be identified with him right off the bat. There is no relationship apart from Jesus Christ. If there's things in your life that you know need to be purged, would you make a decision today to just just take a step? Give it away. stillness of these moments I know that you are presently speaking I know that you are in the room and I know that you're whispering into ears and whether people are stepping forward or with their feet or whether people are stepping forward with their heart Lord I just pray that you would have your will with us I know that decisions are being made right now Lord, all the insecurity and all the baggage that we lay hold of, all the things that have held us back, all the excuses, all the justifications, all the heartache, all the pain, it's what we've identified as. And to take it away, what, who are we? We don't know who we are without our worst day. What would we, how would we have an excuse then? And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see who we are in Christ. Image is everything. Whose image we live in? Do we live in the image of Adam or do we live in the image of a creator? Lord, I pray that today we would forego the image of Adam. We would put on a new nature, a new heart, and that that image would be everything. Maybe you're here this morning and it's a little disconcerting or maybe you're a little concerned about coming forward. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be available if you'd like to pray over something, if you'd like to maybe confess something or pray for repentance over something or whatever it might be. You just need somebody to be with you or maybe somebody to hold you accountable. Very humbly willing to do that. If maybe you've never come to Christ and overwhelming to think about it I'd love to show you how simple it is to identify with him for all eternity don't leave until you make those decisions today Lord we love you and we thank you for who you are we thank you for what you've given us we thank you that your identity is our identity now may we walk as prophets and as priests and as kings and as ambassadors may we walk as forgiven ones who give life 
Lord, may we not be embarrassed to think about everywhere we go, we give blessing. Everywhere we go, we, we, we carry your presence as the temple of Almighty God. Thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift we could ever be given. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us where we have neglected it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This afternoon, uh, the uh, Journey Church is going to be using our building. And so before you leave, just know, just leave your chairs where they are. And uh, they'll be using them later today if they worship, have a worship night here. Want to be a blessing to our other churches. And so this is a way for us to do that. And uh, I hope you'll have a, a blessed week remembering who you are every moment and whose you are. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.